Hey, John, I think producer Andrew set me up on the way here. What did he do? Well, you know, I got a text for him from him to uh, go pick up some beverages on the way in mm-hmm. at the regular place that I go pick up the regular beverages, blah, 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 you know, okay. before the uh, podcast. Something irregular about the regular, you're saying? Well, so I go into the local party store, go in there, you know, I just got off of work, and so I'm all greasy and dirty and nasty and... I, you know, my back's been out for about four days, so yeah. I, I go walking in, and I'm just kind of limping in there, and I grab a case of, you know, you know what I'm grabbing, mm-hmm. and uh, I go over to the counter, and I'm at the counter, and there's, like, people are like, and they're all talking, and they're, you know, and I can hear, like, there's just this commotion going on behind mm-hmm. me, and I'm just like, whatever, you know, and I, so I pay for my purchase, and I turn around and um, smack dab in the middle of a TV crew. And they're all like right behind me. Nice. Uh, boom mics and cameras and all that. And nice. I'm thinking, was I just the millionth visitor? Did someone just win the lottery? <laughs> Did what win the a heck? Prize? Yeah, no, it was the. Uh, um, and, and I think Andrew put me up for this. He, he says he didn't, but um, it uh, it was the cast of uh, Teen Mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually worked years ago on there. On you know, you do a lot. You more. were a Teen Mom. No, I was I not. I knew a- that. That's incredible. <laughs> no, I was not a Teen Mom. Um, I you know back when I was doing a lot of dive stuff, I actually worked on their crew as a safety diver when they were nice. doing something near water once. Remember you telling me about that? Yeah. yeah. And so I turned around. And I'm like, oh, oh, this is what's going on. So I just <laughs> I got out of there. But of course, Project Excursion was sitting right outside the door with this big wheel and logo on nice. it. So I'm sure they'll blur that out. And well, if anybody hears this, you have our permission to use it, please. <laughs> yeah. So if you're watching, if you're a fan of Teen Mom, uh, I believe it's actually Teen Mom OG is what they're doing right now. Hmm. And uh, if you're a fan of that, and you see an episode that is on Halloween Day, and they are. Uh, at a party store, and I don't know what they're doing at a party store, and they're outside in the pouring rain, and you see a uh, blue excursion with uh, something blocked out on the back of it. Uh, that's Project Excursion. Nice. That's which awesome. has actually been on Teen Mom OG before because awesome. they actually used it as a backdrop to hide <laughs> the camera crew behind. So Nice. Yeah, I, I have no affiliation with this show whatsoever except mm-hmm. for working for them once. But I've never seen it. I don't get cable or satellite where I live. Yeah. So I've, I've never seen... Single episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, just a weird deal today. Yeah, so fun, fun, uh, fun, fun. But uh, any case, uh, you know, this is a live. Uh, we're doing live today. We're going right to Podbean through the app. So we're going to try this out. Hopefully, our listeners uh, that are live are going to enjoy this. And then anybody who listens to this on the upload uh, here, well, it would be next Monday. Uh, enjoys the episode as well. Absolutely. So, and you and I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, international harvester vehicles, correct? We did. Indeed. Now, the reason we wanted to do that was, um, and this is actually a little past due, we had two separate people through the social media's request that we do this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe one of them was Patrick Rowe, uh, one of our Patreon sponsors ah, okay. up in Alaska. I could be wrong on that. And then the other person, I don't remember what his name was. This was back almost when we started the podcast, and mm-hmm. it was through Twitter or something, said, hey, I'm really into you know international harvesters, especially scouts. Nice. Um, can you guys do an episode on those? And I said, yes, we will do one in the future. And I've been putting it off. And then I guess... Even a third person when we were out at Wheels in the Woods, Mr. Dan Blair, who's an old wheel and oh, friend right. of mine. And I remember you know, that discussion, yeah. You know Dan, you know. Yep. Uh, he uh, he said, oh, yeah, you got to talk about scouts and stuff. So uh, this episode is not going to be a 
uh, straight up just scout episode. We want to talk about the history of International Harbor Pet Harvester passenger vehicles from the beginning. Yeah, I, I didn't realize how big of a company this was and just how long they span. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, so let, let's talk about them and then maybe in the future do a scout episode. Sounds good. So uh, let's try this today, John. That works. Before we get going on this, I would like to give a shout-out, if that's all right. Yeah, go ahead. To Mr. Hugh out in Fort Gratiot. Heard through a friend of a friend. You listen to the show, and you love it a lot. So thank you for listening. Uh, we've sent a couple stickers out your way, so hope you get them and enjoy. Absolutely. It's time to hit the trail, lock in those hubs, and throw it into low range. Because you are listening to Wheel It with Keith and Johnny Orange. Broadcasting from the Thin Line Off-Road Studio, they're here to talk about 4x4s, trucks, and everything to do with enjoying the great outdoors. Buckle up, here's your hosts, Keith and Johnny Orange. Well, John, if you asked me where we're going to start, let's start out with um, some 4x4 news before we get into International Harvester. It works. And I guess well, let's just start with Project XJ. I it saw works. some pictures online. You're doing some rust repair? Yeah, yeah, again, I, I got back to a couple of weeks off of uh, working on that, trying to take care of some other stuff, so back working on that. Uh, I got the rocker panel cut out on the driver's side. You know, one big giant mouse nest right in the middle that I did not light on fire this time, cutting it out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, thankfully, a lot more good metal left than I expected. I mean, it was still shot. Okay. The whole bottom was gone, but the sides, there was a lot more good metal left than I anticipated, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Okay, and very it took good. me two days to find a special drill bit that I needed for cutting spot welds, but I found it. So once I get the rear seat sport out, I'll be able to get going and uh, finish mocking up for the new rocker tube and then floor steel and then switch to the rear. Well, I'm pretty excited. Uh, oh, yeah, so your, your September date is way gone. Oh, and past, so, so gone. So <laughs> blown out the window. Yeah, that's yeah, all right. At least, at least you're making progress with it. Oh, yeah. And that, that's the biggest thing. It, you know, it sat so long. You know, a lot of those pictures you noted, uh, there. well, you, you probably noticed anybody who looked at them, there's a lot of brown stuff in those pictures. I assure you that's mostly surface rust. Okay. From sitting. Is that back when it was back at your place, that was all clean metal. All right. All so right. sitting for that many years in the garage, it's it's all surface. It'll, You'll get there. You'll get off. there. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> nationally or internationally, we'll use the word international, even though this <laughs> this is not an international harvester news, but um, internationally, I I don't know if you got the latest episode of Peterson's Four Wheel and Off Road. I don't, unfortunately, get that anymore. Oh, I thought you did. So, um, no, I haven't in a while, at least. So the latest issue has two 2.8 or R2.8 Cummins um, swap Ooh. vehicles in it, one of them being the International Harvester Scout nice. 80 that they uh, took up to Alaska. And what's really cool about that one is it has our sponsor, Quick Draw Brands, Bell Housing. That's in it. awesome. So they went to an MV4500 behind a 2.8. Apparently, it worked flawlessly. Nice. Uh, so they they actually have um, 
Last month they had more information about Quick Draw, mm-hmm. and then um, this month they just, of course, said that they had purchased the product from him. Uh, there's also another Prophets Resurrection Cruisers has another 2.8 swapped Land Cruiser in or Land Cruiser in there, but um, it doesn't say how he made it to the H55 five speed. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he used a Quick Draw bell housing or went some other way. Yeah. Um, and speaking of some other way. Uh, Quick draw. I was talking to Chad um, maybe an hour ago, so on the phone on the way home from work, and uh, one of his major competitors. And I'm I'm not gonna, I guess, name the competitor, but one of his major competitors has been making for some time now automatic adapters for the R2.8 Cummins, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of them, like dozens of them, have failed now in the last oh, really? year or so. Oh, that's no good. And, you know, and he's getting calls daily from <laughs> people who have had this, and they're just like, I am fed up with dealing with this other company, yeah. and um, is there anything you can do? And so he started a project a month or two ago going to the automatic, because he already does all the manual stuff. Mm-hmm. Now he's doing. I know you're not an automatic fan, but he gets a lot of people that want it, and those automatic. I, mean, I, I respect those decisions. You know, a friend of mine had posted automatics are for people with no left foot. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, like my brother um, or this guy. <laughs> yeah. So he ended up uh, just saying uh, screw it, mm-hmm. and he, you know, put the the time in, and he said he will be to the market with. Um, GM, Chrysler, and Ford transmission adapters for the R2.8 Cummins within a week or two. Wow. And so that's that, a huge turnaround. Yeah. Wow. So, so he's got those going uh, for the various automatic transmissions. And nice. it just, it, it, he's fixing all the problems of his competitor and, well, not even fixing it for them. He's just redesigned the entire product. Yeah. And so if, if you're a big R2.8 Cummins a listener out there and fan of that new crate motor from Cummins, um, and you're hearing about all the horror stories of another company's product failing. Um, time to give Quickdraw a call because uh, you know you know and I know by looking at his manual adapters that he's going to make these automatic adapters right. Oh, for sure. You know, so these things are beefy, man. These are heavy duty. I love them. Yeah, so I'm really happy to hear Chad's doing that for sure. Um, from my end. Uh, there's uh, a few bits of news. I, I don't know if you saw that we finally picked up Preston's uh, Z71. I did, yeah. I was looking at that on my way in this morning uh, okay. for the show today. Yeah. That thing's pretty sweet. <laughs> it really is. I actually want to do a Z71 episode here okay. in uh, the future uh, because there's a lot of information that I've just learned recently about mm-hmm. that particular model of truck. So um, I don't want to go too much more into detail, but I can tell you the truck runs and drives. Preston is super tickled. Uh, um, I saw the video of him driving around the back. That yep, was cool. There'll be some pictures soon yeah. of him fixing it up. So uh, that's my biggest project nice. right now. And then I guess one other project, um, mentioning Project Excursion again today. Project Excursion got to do something that probably a lot of us would absolutely love to do, but mm. um, I, I, I don't think many people have ever done. Mm-hmm. I dragged a bank vault out of a bank Dude, today with it. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yes. I was excited I got to push a dumpster with Pegasus once, but your so, story's way better. <laughs> so for the demolition company I work for, uh, the site that I started out at this morning. Wait, did you fast and furious that? Pretty much. That's awesome. <laughs> so, There's video somewhere, right? Uh, no, I have some pictures of okay, some of the aftermath. That's acceptable. We'll um, look later. Well, actually, I'll, I'll show you that just real quick to get okay. your... Um, so I started out by removing the um, four-inch thick 
um, stainless and regular steel um, bank vault door, and I gutted all the the mechanisms mechanisms from it. But I did the math on it because I went online and I said, okay, how many pounds per you know cubic inch? Blah blah mm-hmm. blah. And this door weighs two thousand six hundred ninety five pounds. Oh. Now it took some very. I had to move it through a twenty eight inch door to get it outside. Oh jeez! And this took um, a lot of creative creative rigging and mm. things to set up. So I had this cart that um, the the folks back at the shop said, "Oh yeah, you can put it on this cart and wheel it out of the building." Mm. And the cart is rated for three thousand pounds. So twenty six ninety five should be fine. This is what happened. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that cart's flat. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> it's currently sitting on the sidewalk, and That's I'm one, I'm wondering if some scrapper's <laughs> going to steal that by tomorrow morning. Where's it at? Uh, you know what? I tell you what, I've man. I've done engine hoist with the capacity. That would uh, <laughs> that would take care of a lot of problems for me if it disappeared. But well, we'll talk later. Okay, we'll talk later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. What's so, the capacity of a Chevy fifteen hundred truck? Uh, nice. Uh, mm. You wouldn't want to put it in the bed. It'd probably crush it. Um, I got a guy with a one ton Dodge. Maybe I can borrow that. <laughs> We're having too much fun already, buddy. Yeah. Uh, you got anything else in four by four news, or do you want to um, uh, museum minutes? I, I know we don't have much right now going on at the museum, so well, we can we just got skip. A meeting coming up i know that I, yeah let's I talk forgot but next week let's talk about <laughs> yeah. that yep um do you have uh anything else in four by four news you want to go into international I harvester i don't think so uh well that's enough stuff my head oh I, I made a a late night sort of marketplace deal a couple nights ago okay uh so i sold the rear axle from um the xj part out uh-huh about nine forty-five in the evening yeah <laughs> so uh, last minute call from a friend of mine Asked if he could pass my number along to a friend of his who needed one like that night, and it worked out. They came out, they picked it up. So he had a, a very the guy's name was Rick and his friend Brennan, okay. and they had a seriously cool '87 Comanche that had been like it was lifted. I think it had 33s under it. I mean, like f- this thing was gorgeous, man. Nice, clean green truck. So no, no sketchy Craigslist deals? No, nope, okay, no. Nope. Right. I knew the guy. He graduated from the same high school I did, albeit oh my god, almost 10 years after I did. Okay. Wow. You're getting old, dude. Apparently. Uh, so. <laughs> Other than that, no. Alright. Uh, oh, you know, one more bit of 4 by 4 news that we're missing. Oh. Um, and I know you already know about this, but for our listeners, and this is a bit of a brag, um, We've been watching. Not that it really matters. We don't. We really don't care. Like care care about the numbers or anything, and and how popular we are or not. But um, says you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I've been watching. Um, there's a, a website called Chartable that pulls up the information for all the different podcast services, and mm-hmm. they actually very similar to say the music charts where. Uh, various songs will get up on the top of various charts. Right, right. Chartable does the same thing with podcasts, nice. and they do other other shows as well. But on there with the podcast, um, they only chart the top two hundred and fifty in any category. Okay, and so I've been trying to see if we were going to ever get on there. Mm-hmm. And as of last week, uh, we were not only on the charts; we're number seventy one in the uh, I love it in the world <laughs> uh, for automotive podcasts. That's awesome. Um, I was. I meant to ask you where you got the information on that because I saw that, and that, that's just cool. It's both on Apple Podcasts and on okay. Chartable. Um, cool. We're we're number seventy one in the world for automotive podcasts. Cool. Um, and there's over a thousand known automotive podcasts. Oh, we're, we're coming for those other seventy. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you take a look at the seventy that are above us, um, there are four other 
four by four outdoor off-road lifestyle podcasts mm-hmm. that have been on for years and years and years now. And so we're number five. And you know, being that we've been I'm doing right this less that. than a year. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Number five. It's kind of cool, you know, just I'm to right be there. Um, speaking of Apple Podcasts, uh, we do have a review on Apple Podcasts, Ooh. and I, I, I wish I could do a shout-out, and maybe I'll try to do that at the next show because I don't want to try to spend time pulling up on the computer right now. Okay. But, um, I have to find that. Check it out. You know, that's something that does help us with ratings and because uh, most of the ratings do get pulled from Apple. I'm not mm-hmm. a big Apple user. But uh, I'm, I'm not. Other than that's just what I have to use. But music on my iPod. Okay, that's about it. Um, but I did notice there's a comment on there, and um, it was a really nice comment. A guy said he had learned some stuff from us, so um, it's nice to see that people are commenting there. And if if you know you, you use Apple and you want to go on there and comment on Apple, we always appreciate it. You oh, know, for tell sure. us what you like, what you don't like, whatever the case may be. We want your honest feedback. We all, I mean, obviously we want those five star reviews, but. We always want your honest feedback um, about the show and suggestions, you know, and you can put a suggestion in there. Put it in the comments. If oh, you yeah. want us to do something in the future, say, hey, can you please do this? And we'll- Always looking for input to make it better and just do more variety of what you guys want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, are you trying to look that comment up right now? I was going to try real quick, see if I can uh, okay. find right. it, but... Um- I'll, I'll do it later. Yeah, we'll do it later. Um, they updated the software again. So. Exactly. <laughs> Back to International Harvester. So International Harvester is this huge company. You did a lot of research today. A um, little bit. I appreciate you doing <laughs> that. I know quite a bit about them, mostly the scouts and the travel alls mm-hmm. and things. But going way back to day one, you did a lot more research on that. So yeah. I think I'd like you to start this off, John. Like, that works. Uh, I, so I learned a lot about the company going through this from their beginning till the end. And I... I never realized how big of a conglomerate it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it started back uh, roots back to the 1830s, and the inventor from Virginia he had a patent for a horse-drawn reaper. What's a reaper? Is that like a, a, a farm it's, equipment? Uh, yeah, farm equipment. So agricultural. It's uh, something used for harvesting like wheat and stuff from a field. Okay. And it just, I mean, from there, you know, up to 1902. They merged with uh, a couple other companies and formed what became known as the International Harvester Company. Okay, and and so they did a lot of like construction equipment, um, yep. agricultural machinery, construction trucks, cars, uh, household, other commercial stuff. They even dabbled in the late years into a military, and uh, they actually made a jet engine tractor prototype. Oh geez, yeah, <laughs> I'd like to see so that. Their, their reach is huge. Yeah, I never realized that. We're specifically kind of talking about their um, their passenger vehicles and mm-hmm. trucks. Which, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, that started out with the Model A auto wagon in 1907. Yeah, yep. So that was their first like actual vehicle, not tractor, but their first uh, road driven vehicle. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, and they made that for a number of years until they eventually renamed it, what, like the motor truck or something? Yep. So that, that was renamed in 1910 and that started in, uh, they did trucks from about, uh, 1907 to 1975. Now, from what I understand that model, um, the model, a auto wagon slash motor truck, uh, is considered to be one of the forerunners to the successful modern pickup truck. Now, we do know that, you know, Ford made the first official pickup truck in 25, mm-hmm. but they were building, like, flatbed-type uh, vehicles that were really closely related to a modern pickup truck yeah. way before Ford was even doing it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so they, they really are, you know, for pickup truck fans, International Harvester was kind of the first to the scene with that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, and they they continued. You know, I know that they made a lot of vehicles during World War One mm-hmm. um, for the World War. They didn't make four wheel drive vehicles yet. That came years later. But during yeah. World War One, International Harvester did make a lot of. Uh, transport vehicles for the war effort which of course mm-hmm. that's like 1916 1917 around there yeah uh, so you know they were really early in the automotive game and people don't realize oh I, yeah i, I, people I, I never the, realized it went that far back i have people i talk to every once in a while that tell me they never realized the international harvester ever made vehicles even to begin with i for the longest time i didn't either oh really and i i had heard it just international huh and one thing i never realized um international international harvester company International Harvester, it's all the same. It's oh, just yeah, yeah. different years of production. They they changed how the name was displayed on a lot of stuff. Kind of like Jeep, Willys, Willys Overland, kinda, uh, yeah. you know, Kaiser Willys, all yep. that. It was it was different corporate mergers, but the same parent the, company stayed around. Essentially, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. One of the, the cool things, a lot of them, I didn't realize a lot of the early trucks were just wood-paneled cabin chassis. Okay. Which, I, I mean, that was cool. The, the true Woodies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you didn't want termites in those things. No. <laughs> for sure. Um, I know that uh, International was pretty early in the 50s somewhere uh, with four-wheel drive. Uh, 56 or 57, I think it was. I'm taking a look. at You actually sent me a copy of your notes here. Yes. And um, it says 56 onwards. So yes. that's about the same time that, uh, well, GM didn't even offer... Uh, factory built pickup trucks till 60. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, till 57. Um, so they actually beat GM by a year. Mm-hmm. They beat Ford. I, I think Ford was around the same time. So they were all right in the mid 50s there. Yeah. But um, those would have been in their travel alls and their little pickup trucks. And I don't know all the mm-hmm. model designations of the pickup trucks at the time. Oh, there's but so many. There's so many different series of a lot of those trucks. A lot was, of them started out like B. They had like, what, B1100? Yeah, or B's, R's, uh, I want to say F's maybe. Mm-hmm. There, there was so much information, it was hard to condense it all just to this. And I know, well, of course, we're going to talk about the Scout, but we're going to, at some point, do a dedicated episode just to the Scout, for sure. There's so much information on those things. Oh, yeah. And, and we'll talk about those even a little bit later here. Oh, yeah. Um, going back to kind of the beginnings of the company, um, they were made in, what, mostly in Akron, Ohio. Uh, yeah. Is that, is that correct? Yes. So they were not a Detroit Big Three. They were they were a little no. bit out. I mean, Akron's only three hours away. But. Yeah, but they were direct competitors of the Big Three back then. Yeah, and I know that um, you know their trucks early on got that reputation. You know, people called them like corn binders, and mm-hmm. they they they're tractors for the road. Yeah, and they were they were made <laughs> to be very heavy duty. Vehicles. They didn't make mm-hmm. pa- they didn't make like passenger cars like convertibles and sports no. coupes and station wagons. They no. didn't do that. They were they were solely in the um, vehicles for farmers and for heavy duty use. Yeah, and that that seems to be throughout their history, even down to some of the home appliances that they actually made were all directed towards farmers. Oh, okay. and like the the travel all, you know that uh, it was actually a right hand drive model car. Okay. And it was hugely popular in a lot of, you know, bad areas with bad roads because of the high ground clearance. 
it just handled things better than other modes of transportation did at the time. Well, I mean, it was, the travel all was available in right-hand drive. They weren't all right-hand drive. Um, ah, see, the, I missed that part. I, I think, actually, I'm going back to your notes and stuff. Um, they actually, the right-hand drive model was back. That wasn't the travel all back then. That was the auto truck or whatever they called it. Right, right, right. My bad. And, or, and then, uh, or the motor truck. Yeah. And then, um, but the travel all, the travel all was... A kind of the first suburban type vehicle mm-hmm. that they made, and yeah. it was it was a big. They made you get it in a panel truck. You could mm-hmm. also get it in a um, originally a two door um, big SUV. Yeah, now, International does have, and I know this, and I don't see it in your notes um, through the Travel All line. Mm-hmm. Um, International has the distinction of being the first mass produced American. Four door huh. SUV. See, I did not know that. That's yeah. cool. So uh, the suburban of the time was a two door, and then eventually a three door, mm-hmm. where they had two doors on the passenger side and one on the driver's side. Huh. Um, and International nice. did that, I think, in their first series in the fifties. Mm-hmm. But um, International was the first one to say, you know what, we need a lot more doors, we need a lot more room, um, and so they were the first full-size four-door SUV that was available in the U.S. I did not know that. That's cool. Actually, that would be that that would be the first four-door um, full-size SUV. Period, because they were only beat by a couple of years by some of the makings um, from Toyota and oh. some very rare models of Willys. But those would be considered medium or small four-wheel drives. Those yeah. were not considered to be your um, your large full-size vehicles. Yeah. So, um, the travel all, I mean, continuing on there with the travel all there, um, the travel all was a, you know, it was, it was run until I think about 75 was the last year of the travel all. Um, that was the, they threw a different, mo- a couple models. They had kind yeah, of the rounded Four different one. generations of it, they call it. Oh, it was four. I thought it was three. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the top of my head. I, I think it. they're counting the travel let as one of those. I could be wrong on that. Now, the Travelette was, was that the one where it had like a little, it was almost like an avalanche where it had the little open bed in the back of it? I think they're pretty rare. I honestly don't recall. I I could be wrong, but I, I think so. Either that or it was the, it was a shorter wheelbase. It was like the first crew cab pickup truck. Uh, yes, that I know. Yeah. yeah. So, so they, um, yeah. yeah factor- four-door crew cab, six passengers. And it was the first in 61. Yeah, first four-door of its time. So, um, so that's something else. They have the distinction of building the first factory crew cab. Yeah, because uh, Ford did not build the first factory crew cab until 1980. Oh wow! Um, there are seventy right about the end of these guys. <laughs> yeah, seventies and sixties Ford crew cabs were all built by a. They were built by a Ford, um, like conversion company mm. authorized and built in house, but uh, they didn't fact technically factory build a crew cab till eighty. Yeah. So nice. yeah, um, Chevy. I think it's seventy three. So yeah, they're all the way back there in sixty one. Sweet. Once again, just you know, they were industry leaders. Yeah, industry leaders. Oh, that's cool. Well, buddy, I think I see producer Andrew waving his "It's break time." Sounds um, good. Watch at us. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I still want to talk more about these internationals. So they get, there's so much to talk oh, about. Oh yeah. So those of us, uh, those of you folks who are listening to us live here, we'll be, we'll back. be back in a few minutes. Yep. Have you heard the good news? Now there's a local paper that people just can't seem to get enough of. It's the Thumbprint News. The Thumbprint News is free and full of interesting stories that focus on what's important in our lives. 
Stories that touch on this area's rich history, unique places, and the diverse cultures and people. You'll be in the know when you read the Thumbprint News. Go to thumbprintnews.com and read the paper online for free today. And we're back. Um, John, during break there, you were mentioning to me quickly that in the 40s and 50s, International branched out from passenger vehicles besides the tractors. Everybody mm-hmm. knows they make tractors, but they got into a lot of other things. And you wanted to mention a few. I don't want to talk like forever about them, but mm-hmm. uh, mention some of the things that International got into um, in that the, kind of the baby booming years there. Okay. Well, this, this this wasn't so much the the baby booming stuff. This was l- sort of later throughout the production, uh, more into the 50s and 60s. So there were a lot of uh, like home lawn garden stuff that they did. And what I didn't realize, Cub Cadet has its origins with International Harvester. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't either. I never knew they went that far back. And huh. they, I mean, there's just, there's so much to that. They had a lot of the walk-behind mowers, snowblowers, shredders, tillers, uh, compact garden tractors, power washers. And in 1981, uh, Cub Cadet was actually sold to MTD. Thus, the end of their affiliation. Okay. They also made like home appliance, like refrigerators and stoves. And yep. uh, I've, I've seen those before. I understand that they're getting to be quite rare and collectible. I know that yeah. uh, I'm on a couple of, I think one of them is actually kind of a little shout out here. It's called like International Scout um, Buy Sell Trade on mm-hmm. Facebook. And there's a couple times where people have popped up like the international refrigerators for sale for like yeah, man cave those, refrigerators. Those day back to the 40s. Yeah. And what a uh, pretty neat little detail on that on the TV show Friends, mm-hmm. the refrigerator in Monica's apartment was uh, about a 1950 international harvester refrigerator. Oh, I never knew that. I didn't either. That's, That's really cool. Just a lot of cool stuff comes up Wh- in this. Where the heck did you find that? I have my sources. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, that's really neat, man. Yeah. The, the cool thing, like I mentioned earlier, this is one of their lines they, they branched out to try and get more into farmers' homes with that. Okay. So a lot of farmers, due to electrification projects in the U.S., were getting power and electricity for the first time. And uh, this was their, you know, these guys were using their tractors and their implements. All right, now we're expanding into this stuff more for the home. I also know that International Harvester had a lot of lot to do during World War II with some of the war effort, and yeah. I'm going to mention briefly. Um, you know, International Harvester six wheel drive trucks are fairly rare to see. We yeah. actually have a mutual friend, Ken, who lives up in uh, near you, mm-hmm. who has one. He may consider oh, taking to the Mora. That's awesome. The majority of those during World War II saw use over in uh, like the Russian fronts mm-hmm. and Eastern Europe. And were left there. They were too heavy and bulky yep. to be brought back. So there's not a lot of surviving examples in North America today. And he has a no, beautiful lot restored of those were one. made for overseas use. Yeah, there's um, they did some light, medium, and heavy duty applications for military. He said there there was a van, uh, a couple different tractors, trucks, things like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the war efforts too. Well, one. Uh, in early 51, the Army actually contracted through Springfield International Harvester to produce some of the M1 rifles. <laughs> That's so cool. You need one of those yeah. for your collection, buddy. I want two. I want one to display and then one maybe for the uh, the Mora. That would be really and cool. It's actually cool. There's a um, little over 330,000 of them were manufactured. So they're out there. 
But I'm sure they're they're hard to find. Yeah, no, that that would be really neat to find, especially if you had like a uh, scout off-road vehicle or something. You could, you know, put international oh, yeah. uh, rifle in there. That would be cool. <laughs> um, well, very very cool. So uh, back to talking about uh, we were just before the break. We were talking about the um, traveler. Um, big station wagon or travel all. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not traveler. That's a different model. We'll get to that in a minute. The travel all mm-hmm. and the travel all, the last generation of it. Um, this is just kind of a little shout out. I don't know if he's a listener right now or not, but an old friend of mine, um, Matt, who owns Bracket Auto Parts in mm-hmm. um, Algonac, Michigan, he bought a last generation, so the square boxy one um travel all and oh, cool. i just he drives it to work when it's nice outside the thing is so beautiful oh, i believe it um absolutely love those things and uh you know something else about the the trucks before we get into maybe say the scouts or, mm-hmm. or the more off-road oriented um something that i don't see in your research notes here that i know is that um the international one-ton trucks mm-hmm. were have the distinction of being one of only two one-ton pickup trucks that ever came available with a Dana 70 front oh, wow. axle. Yeah. I didn't realize that axle went that far back. Yeah, the Dana huh. 70. Uh, so most of your one-tons have a Dana 60 in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, International um, used them for the longest time. Now, the earliest versions were big six lug. They were the same as like the Rockwell, um, hmm. you know, deuce and a half axles, mm-hmm. bolt pattern. And they were drum brake, closed knuckle axles. They're not very desirable, very good axles, but they're yeah. still very stout. Um, and then Dodge did use the Dana 70 in limited quantities in the one tons in the huh. 70s. But for the most part, um, and then there's some military applications as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for, for a you know, commercially available one-ton pickup truck, um, the Dana 70 front, um, the largest user of that was international. So, nice. I mean, just it goes back to that overkill, beefy farmer use, yeah. you know, just just crazy, like, oh, well, you know, Dana 60 would suffice, but let's put a Dana yeah. 70 in. <laughs> yeah. So. so real quick, I've been handed a note from producer Andrew here. Oh, geez. Uh, apparently my mom is listening to us live. So oh, first man. off, hi, mom. Well, hi, Patty. How you doing? <laughs> And uh, so shout out to my mom, Patty. And yeah. then uh, she, the note we have here is apparently my grandfather had one on the farm, uh, a scout and tractor. Now, did you uh, do you have on the note there whether he had a Scout 80 or a Scout 800? Nope. <laughs> okay. I'd love to try and find that out, but I don't know if oh, anyone in our family is going to know enough scout about two. that. Yeah. Okay. So I'd love to try and find that out sometime. But that would know. be pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I wonder whatever happened to it. <laughs> we we keep we keep like kind of bouncing around the subject. And we keep mm. saying scout, scout, scout. I mm-hmm. think it's finally time for us to talk about the International Harvester Scout, which um, is arguably the most popular international harvester oh, for sure. model um, for the off road enthusiast of all time. Yeah, I I always heard you know from when I can remember hearing about the Scout for the first time, I heard it as international. I never knew it had anything to do with International Harvester, though, which it, it sounds stupid, I know, but just hearing it referred to as the International Scout or the Scout on its own, I never connected the dots. It was just, it was a realization of like, wow, this is way bigger than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, um, the the Scout, when it came out, um, as you know, was a direct competitor to the CJ mm-hmm. model of the uh, the Jeep. 
And it was immediately a success. That first model was the little 800, Mm -hmm. um, smaller vehicle, had some rounded lines, but it was was a little more refined. Uh, Still very rugged vehicle, but a little more refined than an open-top Jeep. Yeah. Um, And immediately um, that caused both... Well, as we've talked in previous episodes, Willie's to take notice and come out with the Jeepster, mm-hmm. and Ford to come out with the Bronco, and then a little bit later, Chevy to come out with the Blazer. Yeah. Um, they all said, oh, wow, you know, there is a market for these small SUVs. Oh, yeah. But, you know, once again, International being on the front line and International being the first to the market, mm-hmm. they came out with that Scout all the way back, I think it was, what, 61 or something uh, like that? 1961 model year, so yeah. it debuted in 1960. I keep saying 800, the Scout 80, 80 yeah. yeah. The Scout 80, yeah. The, the cool thing, the design started in the late 50s, like you said, as a competitor to the CJ. Total development time, 24 months. Really? That's all it took. That's insane. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. Such a short time to come out with something so successful. Now that, it's nuts. That probably seems like a long time to certain people, but keep in mind that a whole new model of vehicle, usually even by today's standards with all the computer-aided design and everything, oh, yeah. is usually a four- to seven-year process. Oh, yeah. So 20, two years, that's that's pretty crazy. But oh, they, yeah. They saw something that needed to come out there, mm-hmm. and, and and that's what they did. So They this did was, it, and it did well. Yeah. <laughs> Now, so that first generation, I know they had a like a leaning or not leaning. They had a slant four as the mm-hmm. original engine. Um, not a lot of power. It was a short wheelbase vehicle. Um, not a lot of room under the hood, and they did kind of a massive redesign of the Scout line for 1972, mm-hmm. and that became the Scout Two, is what it was called. Yep, that was 74 or 72. 72, yep. yeah, and. Now the Scout Two was a little boxier, mm-hmm. a little more rugged. Didn't look, uh, didn't have those rounded lines anymore. Yeah. Um, and the Scout Two is the Scout that a lot of collectors today, originally, even just three or four years ago, Scout Twos could be picked up pretty cheaply. Mm-hmm. Um, but people realized that they were. You know, especially as the early Ford Broncos to restore um, prices went through the roof and became unobtainable, mm-hmm. people started looking to the Scout Two because it's still a very capable off-road vehicle, hmm. and for restoration um, purposes, uh, there's a pretty strong market for parts. So they started restoring these Scout Twos, and now the the prices are reaching Bronco prices, early really? Bronco prices. Oh, wow. for a clean one, yeah. I've never looked at a used one. The, the extent of what I've had looking at used ones is when I went with you the one night to check the two that guy had out. I was just going to mention that. I yeah. thought you went with me. Yeah. Yep. We went to look at those two for sale. My son yeah. was really a big fan of the Scout Two, yeah. and he kind of wanted one of those for his first vehicle, and I would not have been opposed to that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, as you know... You know, something with the airbags is much driving, going back and forth, and you know, with modern stuff, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I think we're still going to try to look for him uh, for one for a project vehicle someday. I support this decision. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, you know, back to not just the Scout though, um, all international vehicles. There's um, without getting into the engines too much. I know one of the most popular engines they use is the 345 V8. And a lot of power, a lot of low-end torque. It was a very reliable engine. It was basically a tractor engine. But um, part of the issue that people had 
which from what I understand is starting to go away because some of the aftermarket has finally stepped up. But part of the issue they've had with restoring and keeping old internationals running is some of the parts availability for those yeah. early international V8 engines and the four-cylinder international engines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of hard to find some things. I, I believe it. As any line ages, stuff gets harder and harder to find, and that's always the the trick with keeping something original is, well, can you support it? Can you fix it? Well, you know, International Harvester still exists as a tractor manufacturer, mm-hmm. but... Um, they sold, and I'm, I'm jumping forward a little bit to kind of the end of them, but they sold all of their um, auto parts business, I think in like, what, 90, 91? 91. Yeah, it yeah. was sold to Scout Light Line Distributors Incorporated. The, so the problem is, is you can't go into an international tractor dealership <laughs> anymore. You yeah. used to be able to do that, but you can't go in anymore to get parts for your Scout or for your, yeah. maybe a few things, maybe a few engine parts, but mm-hmm. um, you, you really can't get the... Uh, that now, the other thing is a uh, problem with say the Scout Two is they were very very rust prone. I believe it, and a lot of those early ones were trying to get a windshield frame that's rust free or a hood. Those yeah. are very hard. The body tubs. There was actually a couple companies up till a couple years ago that were making them out of fiberglass, and mm-hmm. they've stopped doing that now. It, it, it's funny you mentioned the rust prone and fiberglass. The so dating back to the original Scout, it was almost a plastic body. It was prototyped out, I think, by GM. They did a scale model of it in plastic. Huh. And the production cost at the time were just deemed too expensive, so they went back to steel. By GM, now... Uh, I believe it was GM. I, I might have that wrong. Oh, okay. Well, I, I could see that because I know that GM, through like their Corvette line with the fiberglass and things like that, mm-hmm. they did help some other companies to develop yeah. those technologies. And it, it was early on. It uh, They did a lot of plastics. Um, again, I'm fairly certain it was GM. Okay. They did a lot of plastic productions in World War II, so they had the existing line there, which is why they, they did the prototyping and all that through them. But it, it didn't just, stick. They ended up Yeah, it was staying. just so expensive at the time to do it. But they thankfully they didn't cuz that plastic would have probably just crumbled and we'd have none left today. Well, speaking of that though, I think for the Scout, which is not it was technically not going to be called a Scout 3, it was the Scout SSV. Okay. Um the Scout SSV and I, you're looking at your notes and you're like, I, I have no idea. I wrote that down. You didn't. Okay. <laughs> the Scout SSV. I remember seeing Scout SS. The but. idea was it was going to come out in '81. Okay. And some people called it the Scout Three, but that's not the technical name for it. Yeah. And it was a little bit more of a refined version of the Scout Two. Hmm. Um, it was a little sportier, and it was meant to originally be like a supplementary model to go along with continued scout 2 sales gotcha and it was but it was supposed to be something that was going to bring them more into the 20th century hmm. it was a plastic it was either a plastic or a fiberglass body um if you look one up they're they're pretty cool vehicles the front end kind of almost throws back to a late 50s ford truck mm-hmm. scaled down um the back end of it reminds me of almost like a um a late 90s chevy tracker Okay. Um, they've got this Targa kind of thing going, and a pretty neat looking little I'll vehicle. Check that out for sure. Um, only two models are known to exist, mm-hmm. uh, or two exi- surviving examples. They built a couple prototypes. Um, just recently, in the last, like I would say, two years, mm-hmm. a third has surfaced 
but hmm. only very limited information is out about it. Gotcha. And there has been rumor that maybe as many as a, as a dozen to 20 were made and huh. for crash testing and things. But of oh. the... So they got really, really, really close to coming out with yeah. the SSV, but they decided... Um, to end the the passenger vehicle production, yeah. the Scout production in 1980. I wonder where uh, the rest of those ended up. If they're stored in some warehouse, collecting dust somewhere, maybe. They probably were crushed. <laughs> they were they were crash test vehicles, but yeah. you know. Now what's interesting towards of the end of the Scout production line, and I and once again going back, I don't see anything in your your notes here, but um, this would be of interest to you. The last couple, I think, it was the last three years of the International Scout, you could get it with a diesel. Ooh, yeah, you get I like it, that. You can get it with a little inline diesel. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And they built a lot of them, unlike some hmm. of the rarer Jeep models and Chevy models where they hmm. only maybe made a couple dozen. Yeah. Um, diesel Scouts are readily available. You can find like those um, for sale pretty regularly. That's awesome. Um, and so that was kind of a cool thing that they did. And as a interest, too, in 1980 and only 1980, for the very last model year, they switched out from their Dana 20 transfer case to a Dana 300 transfer case. I've seen those. But it's the short output version, yeah. which is great for a short wheelbase vehicle. I know and they're those, very desirable, and those go for a ton of money. Yes, they do. Oh, yeah. my God. There's a one-year-only scout only. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think at, uh, when I first started looking into the Dana 300 cases... Oh my God! I I was finding them from the Jeeps left and right, hundred hundred and fifty bucks all day. Mm-hmm. The Scout ones I want to say were like three to five hundred bucks. Like, Absolutely, holy crap! Well, it's one year only. So. Yeah, I didn't realize that. <laughs> um, the Scout, similar to the, uh, you know, like the Jeepster that mm-hmm. you have, was available in the half cab, full roof, uh, pickup version. They had a lot of different versions of it as yeah. well. Um, one, oh, go ahead. You look like you're going to say something there. I, I was going to count something up because I know I had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Looks like main variations of them. So even more so than the Jeepster and um, yeah. the CJ line. Yeah. And yeah. that's, uh, so I, one one thing I did have, the, the Scout production. So during the 20-year period, 1960 to 1980, 532,674 were produced. That's quite a few. Yeah. And there there was uh, another spot. I know the same basic design was used. The Yeah, the basic sheet metal was pretty much the same all the way until production stopped October 21st, 1980. Huh. Which, uh, oh, yeah, it was a little over eight years before I was born. A little less than. <laughs> As a bit of interest to the off-road and 4x4 crowd, um, for many years, the Scout II did use uh, Dana 44 axles, front and rear. Yep, 1974, uh, Dana 44's power steering and disc brakes became standard. Yes, um, but take caution there. If you're looking to swap a Scout Dana 44 into something else, the the width of them is almost perfect for an older Jeep, for a Wrangler hmm. or something. But the problem with the Scout Dana 44 is the outer's uh, the outer uh, stub splines mm-hmm. are completely unique to the Scout. Oh, that's a bummer. It really is. And so <sighs> I had a buddy years ago who had act, didn't know that. Mm-hmm. He was up in the UP. He had pulled one out of a Scout, rotted out Scout, and thrown it into his, I think it was a TJ Wrangler, mm-hmm. and was wheeling with it, and he broke the stub shafts, and he went to go get stub shafts from like a Chevy Dana 44 mm-hmm. or you know commonly available Dana 44 stuff, the old 30 spline stuff, yeah. and it didn't fit. Bomber. Yeah, so he had to get... Is this Lucas? 
No, no, oh, okay. it's a guy you wouldn't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just uh, that's that's a word of caution for swapping. It's not bad stuff. It's not lemon stuff, but it's yeah. just it has unique spline counts. It Again, has unique hard to lengths. Find parts. Yeah, hard hard to find parts. But. Never, never fun when dealing with old stuff like that. But that does add a nice element of uh, challenge to it. If you're going to build it for something like that, one, make sure you have spare parts. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, uh, kind of to complete out the scout history there, um, something that's interesting too that I, I don't know if you knew about this, but um, the you know earlier you mentioned right hand drive, mm-hmm. um, the Scout Two and even the Scout Eighty were both widely available in right-hand drive for postal carriers, for huh. rural postal carriers. and for, I have seen those before. For many, many years, it was the only four-wheel drive yeah. option for snowy, mountainous, rural areas was the Scout. Hmm. Because when the Jeep came out with the Jeep Dispatcher, which was the Jeep's version of mm-hmm. the right-hand drive, they were two-wheel drive only. Huh. Now, a number, I know where one of those is unfortunately sitting in a scrapyard. <laughs> a number of people with the dispatcher yeah. did use um, parts from a CJ5 to convert them to four-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. But uh, pro- contrary to what many will have you believe, Jeep never did build a four-wheel drive, uh, um, I guess, CJ postal vehicle. They did make a four-wheel drive XJ and mm-hmm. uh, JK and things like that many yeah. years later. But for almost 20 years, the only four-wheel drive postal hmm. vehicle you could get was an International Scout. Interesting. So, you know, they, they've seen a lot of service yeah. there, too. That was. I wish cool. this one was in better shape, the, the one in the scrapyard I referred to, because that'd be, that'd be very cool to get that thing. It's an old what, DJ something or other. Dispatcher, DJ yeah, maybe. DJ, DJ5. Yeah, there's like a four-inch tree growing through the bed of it right now. It's pretty sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a cool truck. But. Before we close out the actual passenger vehicle section, I think it is interesting to note that for the last five years of passenger vehicle production for the international passenger vehicles, Mm -hmm. that they only produced the Scout from 76 to 80. Huh. Because prior to that, their travel all and their pickup truck line was all done by 75. Yeah, I was going to say... Yeah, I remember reading that. So the last thing they produced for a number of years was the Scout, hmm. and then they eventually discontinued the Scout as well. And, and you were buying those, by the way. You didn't have, like, international car dealers. You bought your international from an international tractor dealer. That's just awesome. <laughs> yeah, that so, is so cool. So that's where you get them from. Let's take a quick break, John, and when we come back, let's talk about international's influence in modern off-road vehicles and modern 4x4 vehicles. Sounds good. There's cool details on engines I didn't know about. Exactly. Hey, it sounds like it's time to swap out that old engine for something better, John. Yeah, man, but I have so much into my trans and transfer case set up already. I don't want to change those, too. Sounds like you need to call Quick Draw Brand Adapters. They specialize in conversion bell housings for nearly all diesel and gasoline engines, including the new 2.8R Cummins. You know, I like weird engines, though. I want something different. Then you definitely need to visit quickdrawbrand.com today. They have those hard-to-find parts. They also have used diesel engines available. You can call them at 513-446-9654. Cool, I'll do that. See what they have. Thanks. Been married 10 years to the farmer's daughter. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Who sings that? I don't know. The International Harvester Country Song? Yeah. I, I can't remember. i sure it's Craig Morgan. You should probably keep it that way. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, so, uh, you know... 
International, like we talked about, closed out in 1980. Yep. Um, for their passenger vehicles, but of course they're still in business today, building um, medium and heavy duty trucks. Mm, yeah. Um, but uh, you had said, well, actually, let me um, let, let, before we completely close out of that, they are back a little bit in the passenger truck category. Oh. Yes, um, this model year, so 2019 model year, GM, as you know, Mm -hmm. um, came back with their medium-duty line, their 4,500-5,500. I didn't know they stopped. Yeah, they stopped in 2009. Yeah, and they came back, so they had a 10-year hiatus. And what's interesting is um, GM and International or Ford and International, had a relationship for many years. Yeah, that but that was something I didn't know about. Let's, let's yeah, get into that for a minute. Yeah. But now they have a, a relationship, and we actually get into why they do. They have, an, they have a relationship with GM now, huh. and they rebadge the GM truck, the Duramax-powered 45, 55, 65, and 7500 series truck, as an big inter- <laughs> they're big, but they they're a regular pickup cab. But they rebadge huh. them as an international, so they're not made by international. Not affiliated, still. but they have That's an affiliation. Cool. They have an international steering wheel, yeah. international grill. So international's kind of back, but only hmm. in in like the medium duty market. They're not back in the in the passenger light truck market yet. Yeah, yet, yet. There there <laughs> there, there is actually um, rumors that that may. I've heard some rumors being in our Detroit area. That they might start offering three quarter and one ton pickups again soon. That'd be cool. That are still going to be rebadged GMs, but it's it's a step back into the yeah. market. Is well, what it if is. they'd love any free advertising and discussion on the show, we'd be glad to evaluate a couple of those vehicles for. A we could definitely for use an international <laughs> crew cab like forty five hundred four wheel drive. Oh yeah, uh, as our tow vehicle for wheeling. Well, I'd take anything and try it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you want it torture tested? Done. So, John, you said you wanted to talk about something with engines or something. Yeah. So what I I didn't realize. Uh, let me find back where I started this. So in 1986, they changed the corporate name to Navistar International. Mm-hmm. And they, they, like you said, they continue making the trucks and school buses and engines under the international name. Well, National uh, Inter- yeah, Navistar International has a subsidiary company that does truck engines. Yes. And I think everybody here is going to more commonly know that as the Ford Power Stroke. Well, e- yes, but even only be- only up to 2010 though. But even before it was called the Power Stroke, International supplied the diesel engines for Ford. Oh, so okay. in 19, I think it was 86, might have been 85, when the first um, mass produced because they they toyed with some diesel engines earlier on, mm-hmm. but the first mass produced um, Ford diesel pickup trucks had a 6.9 V8 in them, huh. uh, naturally aspirated, no turbo, and it was made by International. I think it'd be a dog. It was. <laughs> it was. But the 6.9 was the predecessor, and it, it's the same block and head design as the 7.3, mm-hmm. the the famous 7.3 Ford diesel, Yeah. Um, which originally came out without a turbo, hmm. and it was a dog as well. I didn't know that either. And then in 1991, it received a, a turbo from the factory, but those nice. are all international engines. Those are not Ford engines. Huh. I never knew a lot of that. I just, like I said, I never realized the reach this company had, mm-hmm. even up until today. And there goes my pen. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, um, but like you were saying, they, uh, under Navistar International, uh, supplied engines um, specifically to Ford Motor Company all yeah. the way to 2010. 
Yeah, and then uh, Ford took over in the the six point seven liter Power Stroke was Ford's first design based off a lot of the original stuff. Well, now this is part of the you know, and if anybody from international is listening. Um, I'm only going to gloss over a little bit because I've read a lot of different conflicting reports on this. Mm-hmm. But apparently, um, the the dreaded six liter Ford diesel, which was an international design, the mm-hmm. one that was uh, really a lemon engine, was an international engine. Mm. But what happened was um, Ford supposedly put some parts on that engine, specifically in the intake and EGR design, Mm -hmm. that International had not designed. They designed the block and Uh heads. And they got the two companies got into a huge dispute over the warranty issues on the 6-liter engine. And they ended up in court. There was lawsuits. There was all these other things. And International, and so Ford knew that they were going to be parting ways, so they went into a crash course design, redesigning their engine line. Gotcha. Um, and International and Ford did, unfortunately, part ways after a nearly 30-year partnership. Huh. Wow. But, um, you know, International, as you know, now, like I just said a few minutes ago, has moved over to partner with GM. Yeah. So they'd just gotten rid of the EGR, they'd have been fine. Well, yeah, it was <laughs> more than just that. But, yeah. um, you know, and, you know, here's my opinion on this, because this is something that actually fascinated me, being a diesel guy and being a Ford truck guy. Mm-hmm. Um I have read into the reports. I've read into all sorts of different things on it, news articles. And when it comes down to it, I don't fault either company. I think that that International and Ford both did things that were, you know, questionable. Not 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 illegal or bad or anything like that. But yeah, um, the, I think they both. Didn't I think it was a story of the right hand not talking to the left? Gotcha. I think that's what it both was. Both a little bit at fault, kind of. Thing. Yeah, I think yeah. they were both just a little bit, and I think unfortunately there was a lot of miscommunication. And I know Ford was going through financial troubles and some restructuring at mm-hmm. the time, and um, I think it was just that. I think I think it was unfortunate, and I think there's a there's an opening for the two to partnership again in the future, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know. But um, you know, when it comes down to it. I love the 7.3 international engine that's a in my excursion. A lot of people do. You know. we, we had, uh, again, I, I think I mentioned this once before, a customer at my prior place of employment. Thing had, I think, 380,000 miles on it. It was an excursion with the 7.3, mm-hmm. and he just kept getting it fixed. He loved that truck. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it was a nice truck. It needed work, but he loved it. Uh, they they make a heck of a, a great engine. International does. Oh yeah, and I've I've seen one of the pistons from one of those. Again, same place of employment. We had uh, it was this dished piston that was always in the back room. We had like thumbtacks and <laughs> paper clips in it. I never knew what it was from, so I asked one day, and like, yeah, when we used to do engine work, we had this piston that just showed up one day, and it never left. So there's a piston for seven three sitting in the back counter. Oh okay, <laughs> it's pretty cute. It's right. huge, dude. Um, what's International doing these days? Um, besides, uh, we said a little bit the partnership with GM, but like they're big trucks. You know, what else do you know about them, John? A lot of big trucks. It's about all I know on it. <laughs> I, I didn't look too much into that. I know we were more focusing on the automotive side for passenger vehicles like the Scouts and stuff like that. So I, I didn't look too much into the big trucks. Well, all right. Um, 
like you said, the big trucks, we don't know a ton about. I know that they make all the way up to semi-truck size. Yeah. Um, they make some some massive heavy-duty trucks. Oh, yeah. I, something, speaking of the heavier-duty trucks, though, and this is something that is, I would say, not very well-known by most of the 4x4 and off-road crowd at this point. Mm-hmm. But um, a few companies out there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do one shout out, um, and his name's Cody, um, and he is making these uh, Cody Freed or Friday, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, he's making adapters to go from the internationals to like some of the Ford transmissions, oh. and I think there's another company, Farmstrong, that's maybe doing the same. Heard of them. Um, they, the DT466 mm-hmm. inline international engine, which came out in the probably late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the exact year of it. Sounds like a big engine. It, well, it's, They just put letters and numbers. It just sounds big. <laughs> it is physically only like an inch or two bigger than a 5.9 Cummins. Oh, okay. And it has an inline Bosch injection pump on it. Ooh. And it's a mechanically injected diesel. Ooh, uh, my like dad's it. company had um, a couple of them in some inter- some mid-90s international trucks. Mm-hmm. Extremely reliable. I believe very it. Very powerful engines. And you can buy those out of the medium-duty series trucks pretty cheaply. Guys, hmm. five 600 bucks all day long wow. are getting these old DT466s. Wow. And now there's adapters available to put them in Ford Super Duty trucks, to put them in Chevy trucks. And there's a number of people who have done it. And It's called a DT466. Yes, a DT466. And there's a number of people that believe now this is going to be the next... Um, five or twelve valve Cummins run basically hmm. because you know the twelve valve Cummins has gotten to the point where a good run and driving doesn't need rebuild engine is in that three grand plus range and you can pick up a DT four sixty six for five hundred bucks all day long. Hmm, you have time to stockpile now. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's that's kind of the thing, you know. And I think they might be out of production as well now. Gotcha. But it's a great engine and there's now adapter plates available to go to commonly available um cool you know three quarter and one ton uh transmissions maybe like that nv4500 or that tremec yeah quite quite possibly <laughs> quite possibly i don't know if uh chad at quick draw is making anything for the dt466 yet, yet. <laughs> yeah he makes something for everything doesn't oh, he yeah <laughs> but um uh, you know, that's a, it's just, you know, it's a good way to finish out things for the 4x4 oh, sure. crowd. We didn't talk too much about an off-road history of International, but I mean, besides talking about the Scout itself. I think a lot of that kind of fits in. And again, we mentioned we're going to do a specific Scout episode at some yeah. point, too. So. I'd like to get my friend Dan on. He's been a huge Scout fan for years. That'd he's got awesome. that Scout, too. And I did reach out to him, but he didn't get back. I think mm-hmm. he's probably busy at work. I know he's... Uh, still active military, and gotcha. you know he well, gets. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, you know, dude, I like internationals. I do. I, think- I am fascinated by this so much more than I was before I started doing the research on this. Oh, really? I I didn't know much about them before, and I just like I said, I never realized how big they were and how influential they were in the off road and automotive world entirely. Very I mean, much crazy. So. <laughs> Very much so. It 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 seems to me. If you look back at international history, that every major in advancement in the, especially in the body styles of mm-hmm. vehicles, was started by international. Oh yeah, they were the first like 
closed cab SUV. They -hmm. were the first crew cab. They were the first four-door SUV full-size. Yeah. Um, They were arguably the first pickup truck. I Mm -hmm. mean, they... First, 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 man. They yeah. just they and they they go so relatively unmentioned or uncommented for so much of the evolution of the history of it. That's I never knew. I would, I never knew anything like it. <laughs> I would love to see International. Um, International is a hell of an engine manufacturer mm-hmm. too, especially with them partnering with GM now. Mm-hmm. And GM now, granted, GM had a lot of teething problems with the Duramax when it came out. But now the Duramax is a heck of an engine. I would love to see what International and GM's partnership is going to produce in the next decade. Oh, yeah. You know, so um, I'd love to see him come back to the light truck market. I'd love to see him bring back a Scout type vehicle. I think that Ch- would be cool. Chad was talking about that where they took that that Nissan and re- basically reworked it to look into a modern Scout at hmm. Overland Expo. So nice. You know. Um, who knows? The future of international might be back in passenger vehicles. If oh, not, yeah. I respect what they do with the big vehicles. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's definitely a necessity. Yeah. John, you got anything else, buddy? Nothing I can think of at the moment. I, I think we did a lot better job with this one than I, than I thought, um, <laughs> I like you know, that. research-wise and all that. But we I hope a our... minor equipment issue with our live and pausing, as I understand. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I am hoping that the couple of people that asked us to do this episode like this, um, because we're going to do a scout episode in the future, if you have any more suggestions, if you say, well, listen, I think you guys glossed over this too quick or whatever, yeah. and you want us to talk more about a certain part of international harvester history. Oh, we'll add it in. Reach sure. out. Uh, hit us on 4x4 Talk. Hit us on Twitter. Um, we actually have a lot more people following us on Twitter now at Whelan. Nice. So, I'm still um, not getting to Twitter. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, you know, you can email us. There's a lot of different ways to reach us. So, um, and then I think actually one of the best ways to do it now that we know how it works is send us a comment on Apple Podcasts because mm. um, it's no longer uh, iTunes, it's Apple Podcasts. Put a comment on Apple Podcasts and say, hey, this is what I'd like to see you do in the future. Um, I, I, I guarantee at least every couple of weeks we're going to check the Apple, Apple Podcast comments. And yeah. if you can comment on there what you'd like us to do, uh, we are more than our ears are open. We're willing Absolutely. to do it. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. John, unless you got anything else, why don't you do your thing, buddy? I think that's all I got. So thanks for listening and have a good one, everybody.